This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, I'm not even looking up. That's how busy I am right now because um, Laura Engel, Laura Engel, she's such a good reporter Thank God we hired her at News Nation. She's literally the definitive voice on Scott Peterson. She moved her residence during the Scott Peterson case so that she could cover that case. And I'll bet she thought, whoa, once that was over, she would. Well, Modesto's a big deal for her again because she's so plugged into that case. The fire department chief from back like two decades ago uh, now has given her access to a document that no one has seen before. And it turns out, I hope you have whiskey in the house. It turns out that the lead investigator in the Scott Peterson case did not know about information in that fire report. She's, she's got it tonight. It's breaking news. I'm going to bring all the, she's like scrambling in the newsroom right now to, to bring this to you, but if you thought you knew everything about the van in Scott Peterson's neighborhood, the day or days around Lacey's disappearance, if you thought you knew, well, guess what? We didn't, which means you probably didn't, because we means the reporters and the fire guy and the cops. And you're going to hear the cops say it like, oh, dear God, in so many words. All that's coming in just a minute. But then also... We have other breaking news, which is huge, and that is that I've got a countdown clock, and it's not the kind of clock I like to see because it's a clock to someone's state-sanctioned execution. You should never relish in that. No matter how you feel about the death penalty, it should not be something that we cheer about. But Kenneth Eugene Smith, after 36 years, is scheduled to die. So just imagine what that guy's going through right now, right? Count down the hours, Ken. You killed that preacher's wife back in the 80s. You were part of it. Now you're going to pay the piper. But it's how he's paying the piper that we all need to be engaged in because capital punishment in the United States is a tricky wicket. We struggle with shooting them. We struggle with frying them. We struggle with putting the needle in the arm. So we picked a brand new way of doing it. We're going to mask him up and make him breathe straight nitrogen till he suffocates. What if he vomits in the mask? Do we take the mask off? Do we, do we stop? There is so much we don't know. This is uncharted territory. And Ken is, he is well aware that this is uncharted territory. I'm just going to tell you this right now. You think SCOTUS is going to call that phone on the side of the execution chamber and say, oh, last minute reprieve. Nope. They decided today, sorry, no free pass. It goes straight ahead. Maybe the governor. I've got a reporter who is scheduled to be in that execution chamber. She's going to join us. And it ain't the first time she's seen it. Also, do you know the reefer madness trial we keep following, waiting to find out what's going to happen to Bryn Spacher after she took a bong hit and like went crazy 
and then stabbed Chad Omelia, her boyfriend of only a couple of weeks, 108 times dead? The judge told her how much time she's going to spend in prison for that. Did I ask you if you had whiskey in the house? Because you're also going to need it for that. All of that coming in just a moment. Let's start here, though, because time is of the essence. It's like just three minutes after 10 o'clock Eastern right now. Uh, That's 9 o'clock Central, which means in less than three hours, barring any last-second changes, and don't hold your breath, pardon that pun, um, prison officials at Atmore, Alabama, way down on Florida line, are going to stand by to execute a man who's been on death row almost 27 years. And at some point between midnight tonight, Alabama time, and 6 a.m. Friday, the state's going to give the go-ahead to strap that man, Kenneth Eugene Smith, to a gurney and then put a mask on his face and make him breathe pure nitrogen until he dies. And if everything goes perfectly, Smith should pass out pretty quick and he should be dead within minutes. I say should because I don't know, and neither do they. If it doesn't go well, that's the big question because nitrogen hypoxia, memorize that one, nitrogen hypoxia uh, has never been used as an execution method in this country, not in the United States. It's just brand spanking new. People have died that way by accident, and the medical theory is solid, but until now it's only been on the drawing board. And the reason that we're going to go down this road is because the needle is getting harder to pull off. Lethal injection is tough because the prisons cannot get their hands on the lethal drugs they need to carry it out. Smith executioners. Imagine being an executioner. Just stop and think about that for a minute. That's what I do for a living. Hi, nice to meet you on Match. Uh, I'm an executioner. Um, they actually had the drugs back in November of 2022, and they tried to kill him back then with a needle, but they couldn't. They had to stop when they couldn't find the right veins So they did the reverse dead man walking. Back to your cell. Nice day for you, Ken. Who is this guy? Who is Kenneth Eugene Smith? Because if we're talking about killing him and everybody's getting emotional one way or the other, you should know what he did. By his own admission, he took part in a violent and cold-blooded murder back in 1988, the year I graduated from college. That was the path he chose. This is the path I chose. He confessed that he and two other guys were paid by a pastor, a Church of Christ pastor, to kill the wife of that pastor. So Kenneth Eugene Smith and another man talked their way into that pastor's wife's house. I'm sure she was quite godly and probably sweet and kind and probably believed them until the fear washed over her like none of us, who's alive and breathing right now, has ever felt. Suddenly she's facing the knife. And that's how they chose to kill her. They chose to stab her. Not once, not twice, no. That pastor's wife had to endure this terror eight times. And then she died on the floor of her own house. No husband there to comfort her because he was the one that did it. Her name was Elizabeth Sennett. This is her in better times. She was only 45 years old. She had two teenage boys. How's their life been? The killers decided, oh, let's make this look like a robbery and trash the house. Didn't work. Witness came forward. All three of them went to prison. One of those killers uh, died behind bars. Lucky him. Another one was executed in 2010, so he saw the terror. 
and then Sennett's husband, the God-fearing pastor, man who hired the killers to kill his wife that way and take his son's mother away, that man turned out to be quite the coward. Didn't figure that God's going to look after him. He just killed himself instead. So of that group of killers, only Kenneth Eugene Smith is still alive today, 36 years later. And the United States Supreme Court decided today it was not going to come to his rescue. And this is where I want to bring in Ivana Herenkiu. She is a reporter for AL.com. She focuses on Alabama's justice system, corrections department, state Supreme Court. She is planning to witness Smith's execution. I got to say, Ivana, this is something that I have always, it's it's the kind of assignment I have always wanted, not because of the prurience of it, because I am fascinated with we as Americans, we're, we're only in line with a couple of other countries around the world, like Iran and North Korea and places that we probably wouldn't prefer to be in line with when it comes to state sanctions executions. But tell me a little bit about this, this new information you got on the planned execution for tonight. What do you know? Right. Well, technically, the state has starting at midnight. So it is just a little bit after nine here in Alabama. Technically, the state has until after midnight, uh, until 6 a.m. on Friday, as you mentioned in your intro here, uh, to execute Kenneth Eugene Smith. Now, that execution is not actually scheduled to start until 6 p.m. on Thursday, so 6 p.m. tomorrow. So that's likely the earliest that this will happen. But uh, he still has another pending appeal. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals actually just sided with the state. So he could appeal that separate case back up to the Supreme Court here uh, later this evening or in the morning. So we could spend the day tomorrow and the evening tomorrow waiting on Supreme Court yet again to decide if he will be the first person to die using this new method. It's just such a creepy thought that they're still scrambling away as they always do. Can't imagine what his lawyer is going through because I guess his lawyer is probably you know, come to, to like his client, perhaps. But So there's, there's some interesting stuff that, that you know about. That the last meal... We always know about a last meal. It's what they get. But this last meal is important. What are the the specs behind the significance of this last meal? Right. So one of the concerns that has been about this uh, death by nitrogen gas has been that Kenneth could vomit into his gas mask. That could create a plethora of problems, according to medical experts. And one thing the department really wants to do is make sure that doesn't uh, happen. Or I shouldn't say the department, I guess the federal judge. So recently, uh, earlier today, a federal judge revealed in court documents that Kenneth Eugene Smith's last meal, if he chooses to have one, which he does not have to have, if he does does not feel like eating, his last meal cannot happen later than 10 o'clock in the morning. So that would be eight hours of time. If this execution happens at 6 p.m. tomorrow on Thursday, that would be eight hours of, of an empty stomach for Kenneth Smith. He also uh, will have clear liquids throughout the afternoon, but he will not be able to have those either from uh, about two hours ahead of that scheduled execution at 6 If he does vomit into that mask, what a ghastly thing for you and the other witnesses to witness, and obviously for him to experience, do they then stop the process? Because I would assume at that point you're aspirating your own vomit and that wasn't in the cards? I think the, the court has said that that is something that uh, that we, we don't know. We're going to have to find out. I think the state has said in court filings that they did not imagine that to happen. If it did happen, that they uh, would, would let it go. I do believe that this is just going to be another factor in the kind of wait and see uh, of this process. What about family? Like, what does he have family? Do they care? Some inmates go to death without family. What's the protocol for, for that? 
You know, I've uh, over my career, I've, I've witnessed quite a few executions here in Alabama, and the witness room that media uh, can can witness and is shared with the inmates' family. So we are actually there with the inmates' family, lawyers, or anybody that they choose to witness on their side. Uh, so that's a, a kind of a separate fold of, of this whole experience. But Kenneth does have a wife. Uh, I'm not sure if she's planning to witness. We will get all of that information tomorrow. What members of his family choose to come witness. We do know that he has a spiritual advisor who will be in the execution chamber with him. So he, he will at least have a spiritual advisor with him. He does have the opportunity to visit with his friends, his family, his wife throughout the day. And then we'll just see tomorrow who shows up to witness. That, that reminds me of Sister Helen Crajan in, in Dead Man Walking, the spiritual advisor that, that might be with him. Also difficult for that person, I, I'm fairly sure. Uh, lastly, but not least, and this is the most important thing at this late hour, the, the, the proverbial phone on the wall. I don't know if they still do it that way, but is Kay Ivey, the Alabama governor, the only person who can ring that phone and stop this process if, um, if they deem there's a reason? Sure, the governor could call this off at, at any point. Uh, I think that that would be something that a lot of people would be surprised to hear, but she does have that option. And again, uh, now that the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals has declined another appeal by Kenneth Smith, his lawyers do have the opportunity to appeal that separate case to the Supreme Court. So they, I would imagine, they would be doing that this evening or early tomorrow morning. So uh, we could also be waiting for a phone call from the justices tomorrow, but uh, I can't imagine that they would already go into the chamber and have Kenneth ready to die and be waiting on that phone call at that point. I think it will be resolved before then. I am going to call you um, several times between now and Friday. I really appreciate this, Ivana. And like I said, it's a gig that I've always wanted and, and feared at the same time. So you're, you're a very brave reporter to do this. And it's an important job. Um, will you come back and, and talk to us as we continue to go through this process towards Friday? Oh, absolutely. I think the biggest uh, part of, of any execution, especially one like this, that is the first of its kind, is, is we have to be as clear with the public as we can. If, if our state dollars are going to be executing people, we should at least be aware as to what's happening. Amen. Ivana, thank you for that. Ivana Harinkiu, uh, like I said, she's going to be back. Uh, in the meantime, I want to bring in Deborah Denno. Um, she is one of this country's leading scholars on the death penalty, a professor at Fordham University School of Law, whose work on the constitutionality of capital punishment makes her one of the top experts on executions in the U.S. Also with me tonight, Joseph Scott Morgan. He's a certified death investigator, a professor of applied forensics at Jacksonville State University in Alabama, also friend of the show. Deborah, let me start with you. You heard Ivana just say it. It's important for us to witness this because we are breaking new ground with this um, with this form of execution. So with you as the expert, I'd just like to get your take um, now that we're just basically hours from it likely happening. Well, it's amazing that reporters like Ivana are going to be witnessing this because we depend so heavily on their descriptions. Uh, Holman Prison is in a very isolated area, and uh, for for decades uh, we have uh, really depended on the people who are mo- who are closest to the inmate describing every conceivable detail. Let me ask you, Joseph, to to weigh in here. Um, this is what the Alabama officials say about the nitrogen hypoxia method of execution. Quote, the most painless and humane method of execution known to man. Is that right? And should that 
assuage all the concerns of people out there who are against the death penalty as cruel and inhumane? Or is there something more to it that 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 quote doesn't quite cover? Yeah, there's something more to it. Uh, show me the studies for that. Where, 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 where are you gleaning that data from? Because that's important from a scientific perspective. Now, we have, we have indications, I think, you know, what has happened in the past uh, relative to exposure to nitrogen gas, which you had mentioned earlier. That, that data, much of that data comes from places like OSHA. And there are a few veterinarians that have held forth opinions about uh, euthanasia with pigs in particular, u- utilizing nitrogen gas. Nitrogen is an inert gas, and this is a replacement for oxygen. So this is a forced breathing mechanism that's going to occur. The only, the only thing for him to breathe will, in fact, be nitrogen, and it's displacing the oxygen completely. So you have to consider what might potentially happen, but this is unpredictable because it hasn't been happen- It has not occurred in this. There's no framework. There's no template for this. So that's what we'll all be watching here moving forward. You know, and there'll be a lot of people watching this right now, um, Deborah and, and, and Joseph, that that feel one way or the other. Some people will be thrilled that this could go wrong and could be horrible for him because I'm sure it was horrible for Elizabeth Senate when she died. There will be others who watch this saying, how is it that we do this as humans? The state-sanctioned killing of, of another human. So no matter where you fall on that spectrum, it's important to know everything that's happening because we, we are doing this. Um, I hope you'll both come back. Obviously, the story is still alive and, uh, you know, there may be a very different outcome by, by Friday. Thank you both. Thank you. Coming up, I mentioned it off the top of the show. It is a breathtaking moment in Scott Peterson's um, fervent efforts to get himself a new murder trial. It turns out police did not know what the fire department knew when Lacey Peterson went missing. And something we all thought we knew might actually have been wrong. I'm going to explain all that next and give you the new information that's broken tonight. And then a manhunt in Arkansas for two murder suspects who broke out of the county jail. They were on the run for 36 hours before anyone even knew they were missing. When we come back, how they got out and what the police and the U.S. Marshals are doing to bring them back in. And P.S. Yes, they're considered very dangerous. Let's just say murder is tied to both of these guys. Back in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Seriously can't believe that I am about to say this, but we have breaking news on the Lacey Peterson case. We have always heard about that van that was spotted across the street from Lacey and Scott Peterson's house the morning that Lacey went missing. We've, we've always heard about that. It's in documentaries. It's all over the place. It was white, tan, brown. Everybody had kind of a different. Uh, but it was checked out 
and it was cleared of being involved in the case. But as it turns out, it looks like there may be another van, and it's that other van that is making really big headlines, a van that police may not have known about. It's that one there, and that's orange. That's not tan or brown, but you could see the conflation, right? That van was found in flames a mile from the Peterson home the day after Lacey went missing, which was Christmas morning of 2002, and it was found by a Modesto fire inspector who said there was a, a mattress inside with what may have been human bloodstains on it. And that is what the Los Angeles Innocence Project is apparently basing much of their reasoning on for taking on Scott Peterson's case. Here's the rub. 21 years later, that same fire official is now saying that evidence of arson inside that van was mishandled. And earlier tonight, the lead investigator on the Scott Peterson case agreed and told Chris Cuomo there may have been a screw-up. What do you make of this van uh, with the alleged human blood stain? Chris, it is new information to me. I hadn't heard anything about this before. And, and if we missed it, you know, that's on us. I want to immediately bring in News Nation correspondent Laura Engel, who's just gotten her hands on the incident report from the Modesto Fire Department on that van fire back in December, December 25th, Christmas Day, 2002. I said it before, Laura, I'm going to say it again. You are the definitive reporter on this case. You literally moved in order to be present uh, in this community and cover this case. What is going on right now? What is so bizarrely new that the headlines are flashing red? Well, we had a couple of different things, right? We had the L.A. Innocence Project, that huge mound of paperwork that was filed last week that we all poured over. And it was referenced in that paperwork, uh, looking for motions to test and retest evidence in this case. And there was a list of things, and this orange van was one of them. But many of us that covered the case the way we did back then, I mean, for, for anybody who doesn't remember, that's all we were all talking about, reporting on. The whole world centered around this case in Modesto and then in Redwood City for this trial of Scott Peterson. But all of us have been comparing notes going, do you remember this particular van? Apparently some people knew about it. And I, I heard, I saw the paperwork. I heard the report of the firefighter. And today I started making calls going, I need to see something to prove that this really is the case. And we've got the report. It's two pages. It's, it's in the Modesto Fire Department archive from 2002, stating that there was, in fact, this van fire that was responded to on Christmas morning, just before 8 a.m. Christmas morning. And here is the end of the incident report from the Modesto Fire Department. This was a fully involved van fire. There was a rag hanging out of the gas fill hole with a gas cap on the ground, but this was not the case of the, the cause of the fire. There were three or more gas cans in the vehicle with evidence of flammable liquid usage in the interior of the vehicle. This was an arson fire the battery was missing. Those are the closing thoughts and notes on this incident report. The question is, what happened next? Yeah. Can I ask you this? Like, when I heard the lead detective on Chris Cuomo saying, if we missed it, that's on us, what does that mean for this case, for Scott Peterson, for, for everything? 
Well, and we also have to remember there were a lot of investigators, and Detective Bueller was one of many detectives, lead detectives within that inner circle that worked on trying to clear Scott Peterson in the beginning. That's what detectives do. They try and clear the husband. So he was on that team. There are a lot of different agencies that were involved. There was the Modesto Police Department, which apparently does have this report, the Modesto Fire Department, the Stanislaus County Sheriff's Department, uh, the FBI. There were a lot of people that were involved in this case. So we have to now find out where this report ended up. Was this van cleared? Look, this airport district in Modesto is not in the best neighborhood, I will say, in this particular one little section. So is it something unusual? We'll have to wait and see. But we're looking into it. Man, you are such a good reporter. Here you are, two decades later, finding new documents. Okay, so would you keep us up to speed on this? Because I, when that, when that detective said, that's on us, if we missed it, I thought, holy Dinah. I mean, a man has been in prison for, you know, 20 years plus. All right, Laura, thank you for that. Uh, come back to us and let us know what else you thank find. Because I know you're going to find more. Thank you. Okay. We also have breaking news that we need to bring in right now about these two uh, escaped inmates in Arkansas. They're on the run, the manhunt is on, and the inmates apparently got that, like a hell of a head start. We're told they've actually been on the run for five nights now. They broke out of the county jail in Pine Bluff on Saturday night. They weren't discovered missing until they did a head check Monday morning. Don't ask. Why do you, why, why only, you know, Saturday to Monday, and a head check is Monday. That's 36 hours later. Uh, I have their names, it's Noah Rausch, is the guy on the right, the white guy. And then Jatonia Bryant is the black guy on the left. Bryant is being held on suspicion of capital murder. Roush was being held on suspicion of burglary and theft, but also a person of interest in a homicide from two years ago. And police, of course, with you know charges like that, are saying they're dangerous. But as for how they got out, they say they, they busted up a shower room ceiling and then went out through a hole in the roof. That's the kind of stuff that makes my blood boil. There is only a $2,500 reward being offered right now, but it could go up. I am joined now by Major John Bean. He's operations commander at the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. Major Bean, I just, I can't for the life of me understand how there's a head count, not for 36 hours after these guys went missing. And it makes me think they knew, they knew when to strike so that there would be this 36-hour long spate until the head count. Do we have anything new about the search for them at this point? At this point, we're still uh, running down leads as we speak right now. We have uh, our law enforcement personnel as well as other agencies that have been helping. They're running down leads as we speak. One of them was homeless. Roush, I think, was uh, was homeless, right? So in that respect, that makes me think he may have a network out on the streets. And, and I'm wondering what what the authorities are doing to sort of, you know, ply that, that network and figure out whether they can get some help there. Yes, ma'am. And that network's pretty broad. When someone's homeless, uh, if you have, we have uh, abandoned schools in our areas, uh, abandoned houses uh, that have been walked through today, as well of a, as a mall that's been searched twice. Um, we have been in contact with people that he has been associates with. Uh, that's, in fact, one of the leads that's running, we're running down right now is, is uh, involving an associate that it is with them possibly with him. Are these two friends? Like, will they be together? Are you looking for them together? Or do you think they split up? Uh, no, man, we believe they, they've split up. So we have mm. uh, two teams that are out uh, simultaneously looking for both of them. What do you want to tell viewers out there who might be watching uh, if they even dare to lend a hand to either of these two guys? 
I want to let them know that there are criminal charges that are going to come down. Uh, anyone that uh, interferes with the apprehension of someone uh, in Mr. Bryant's case, since he is being charged with a Class Y felony, anyone that assists him is committing a Class B felony. Uh, for Mr. Roush, uh, depending on the activity that's involved, it could be a felony as well. Uh, but we uh, will surely... Uh, be going after the people that have tried to assist them. We believe they're still in the area, still in within our jurisdiction. Yeah, and as I read the law down there, even if they uh, tell a little lie, that's uh, that's part of the harboring. So um, yes. I hope you guys catch your man. I mean, seriously, these guys could be really dangerous with the charges they're facing. Major Bean, will you keep us updated on this? Yes, ma'am, I sure will. Okay, and I'll trade you one. Um, we'll let you. We'll let our audience know uh, the info for the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. It's eight seven zero five four one five three zero zero. Again, Jefferson's County Sheriff's Office eight seven zero five four one fifty three hundred. Call if you know anything about these two. Still to come, a twenty six year old man is stabbed to death, and then some because the killer plunged the knife into him a hundred and eight times. And after she goes to trial and is convicted, she gets her sentence. Drum roll, please. Community service. Oh, and probation. No prison. How? Just how did that happen? Coming up next, the victim's father joins me for an exclusive interview, his first public reaction to that stunning announcement in the California courtroom. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I don't like to presume things on the show, uh, but I am pretty sure that most of the inmates across America that are sitting in a jail cell right now are sitting there for offenses that are much less serious than Bryn Spacher's offense. Uh, by which I mean they are not sitting in prison for stabbing someone 108 times. And guess what? Neither is Bryn Spacher, and she never, ever will be. We have brought you Bryn's story before. She was convicted last month of involuntary manslaughter after stabbing her boyfriend, Chad O'Melia, 108 times using three different knives. Yesterday, she was handed her sentence for that killing. And weirdly, she was only facing four years. And I'm going to get to why in a minute. Because four years would have seemed pretty damn light given what happened to Chad. So imagine the shock in the courtroom when she wasn't given any prison time at all. Nothing. Instead, the California judge sentenced Spatcher to just two years probation and 100 hours of community service for 108 stab wounds. Now imagine the shock for Chad Amelia's family in that courtroom. His father is right now driving back home to Oregon from California after surviving that moment in court. And he's going to join me shortly with his first public reaction to Bryn Spacher's sentence. But first, a little bit of the backstory. On the night of the killing, May 27th, 2018, Spacher and Amelia both took a couple of hits from a bong. And according to experts, 
Fitcher went into something called a weed-induced psychosis, and the experts testified and the judge agreed that when Spacher stabbed Amelia over and over again and then stabbed herself repeatedly, she apparently did not know what she was doing. When the officers arrived the next morning, they had to use a taser, and they had to beat her with a baton to disarm her, and still, she stabbed herself in the neck. And she stabbed her dog. And in deciding to spare Bryn's Spacher any prison time, the judge said that there was evidence that she had no idea marijuana would affect her in such a horrific way. Now I am joined by Chad Amelia's father, Sean Amelia. And Sean, I know we are catching you just sort of fresh out of this, this day, this shocking day in, in court. Can you take me to that moment and describe what that was like for you to hear that she would spend no time behind bars? Well, I don't know if you, one thing yeah, that yeah we've got him back. Okay. One thing that appeared very strange to me is that we were asked to prepare some um, victim impact statements to address the court, and we read our statements, and it really didn't it really didn't matter. I didn't understand the whole exercise because Judge Worley, when he read his verdict. Um, he had already prepared it. So why put us through that? And at the same time, you've already prepared what you're going to say. You've already predetermined what you're going to say before you've listened to the victim's family. Um, I think David Worley ignored the request of the DA. They wanted the maximum penalty. He ignored the recommendation of the probation officer, which was uh, felony jail time. She was to do prison time. And he, he's, he, has, he has shown a tremendous amount of bias in this case towards the victim. I mean, excuse me, towards um, the defendant. And I called him out on it. I, I, in my, in my comments to him, I told him, I said, you've been extremely biased against the prosecution. It's been obvious. I mean, in my work, what I have to do um, as a manager for the University of California system, we are trained to identify bias. We don't tolerate bias. Um, and I could see it. It was, it was explicit. It wasn't even implicit. Um, so he's, he, every everything that happened that day shocked everybody in the courtroom. I think it even shocked her family because of their reaction. Uh, and essentially, he let her get away with uh, killing another human being. So, Sean, about that, uh, you know, unless you've been through the process like you have, people just don't know what it's like inside a courtroom, especially when there is another family on the other side of of this impasse. What was that like um, to be directly next to a family that seemingly was getting pretty good news? Did you talk at all? Did you exchange contact of any kind, eye contact, words, anything? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, when her father got up to speak, and to, to answer your question, I don't look at them. I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want 
It's people have sent me all kinds of information about them. I don't want it. It's unnecessary for me to know. Okay. I, I'm interested in my son and, you know, I'm, I'm there to honor his name and to honor my family and to myself. I have a lot of respect for myself and I have a lot of respect for my family. And unfortunately, their attorneys, their family, and, you know, this system has not shown a lot of respect for my son's life. But I will say that her father, when he got up to speak for the first time, he acknowledged what, her do- what his daughter had done. He apologized to me for it, and I shook his hand. But unfortunately, as he hands me an olive branch, his attorney, Robert Schwartz, goes into some speech and then tries the whole victim-blaming thing in front of the judge again. I mean, he just burnt the olive branch down. So, um, no, there's been some misconduct by her mother. She's confronted me in the hallway once. She confronted some other people in a hallway. And her oldest brother, he constantly stares me down, which is a really a fool's errand. They have to remember what's happened here. Their sister, their daughter, butchered my son. I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy about this verdict. Um, I'm not happy with David Worley, Judge David Worley. I am not happy with him at all. And I think the message that he has sent is that, you know, victims really are not considered, at least by him. Now, I don't want to lump all judges into sort of one group. But we seem to be seeing way too many perpetrators of crime not truly be punished for the crime they commit. And if you don't do that, there's no deterrent. The crime is just going to get worse. So now he's opened Pandora's box. Everybody that smokes marijuana and kills somebody, there's a precedent. They should get probation, right? So I did... In the courtroom, express at one point, I said, you, sir, have just given people a license to kill. That's what you've just done. And, and I sincerely mean that. You cannot allow people that, regardless of what they feel they're, they're doing or their state of mind, to not have any punishment for the taking of a human life. It's, it was absurd. And it was kind of a disgrace to his profession, I think. But I, my understanding is he's going to retire in February, so he's not worried about re-election. He doesn't care. Sean, I have this question for you, and I only have a few seconds left. But, um, sure. you know, her, uh, her attorney has, has indicated to, to News Nation that she wants to open a dialogue with your family. She wants to dedicate her life to doing good work, and she plans to speak about the dangers of marijuana-induced psychosis. Do you ever want communication with Bryn Spacher, or do you ever see yourself forgiving her? Well, the second part of that question is an absolute. I have to forgive her. Um, we're, I'm, a, I'm a person of a very strong spiritual belief and so is my family and my mother has told me that my path to see Chad again is through forgiveness of this young lady but forgiveness and atonement are not uh, mutually bound she should have she should have some atonement for what she's done uh, let, let me ask you this question at one point in time 
her brother's remarks were she's not your brother gets up there to speak and says she's not the type of person that should go to jail i'm sitting there listening to this young man and i'm thinking do you realize what you just said and he was a police officer so i wanted to ask him well then define the type of person that's supposed to go to jail for me okay i mean if anybody in that courtroom should have known that if you break the law this type of law you should go to jail it should have been him you don't you don't separate people based on their educational background or any of that type of thing um whether they should go to jail or not. it was yeah. it was absurd it was an absurd remark and i got to tell you something you know I, i was really ashamed of that i was ashamed to have to listen to it it was disgusting to me but the answer to your question is all that needs to happen and all i've ever wanted is just take responsibility for what you've done and Yes, we can talk until you're going to say yes, I killed your son and I am sorry. Okay. Fine. You don't know why it happened? I don't know why it happened. But I love my son, but you need to honor and respect him. That is it. That's all I ask for. Thank you. Sean, you're um you're a you're a, an extraordinarily brave man and um and a and very charitable father and thank you so much for honoring Chad. the way you did and also for speaking with us about this i really appreciate this thank you still to come the mysterious deaths of those three kansas city football fans new details about what may have gone down and whether drugs were involved as the man who lives in that house continues to try to set the record straight that's next say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin-Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin-Marshall credit card bill. right but there's been a lot of speculation that maybe drugs were involved tonight the father of one of the victims Ricky Johnson uh told Chris Cuomo that he believes that his son did do drugs but that he didn't abuse drugs he's not referring to that specific night either and the homeowner's lawyer also cleared up something else tonight it had been widely reported that the homeowner had nothing to say about those three dead victims in his backyard except callously they froze to death But Jordan's lawyer, that that homeowner's lawyer, says that what Jordan actually said when his sister called him in a panic, worried it might be him in the backyard, was that quote, the police found three of my friends frozen in the backyard last night. Joining me now is reporter Malik Jackson from Fox 4 in Kansas City. When are the toxicology reports expected to come back, Malik? Cuz that I feel like is going to clear up a lot. Yeah, so I actually spoke with the medical examiner's office today that has um possession of these bodies and is running um these autopsy tests. They tell us that anywhere between 6 to 8 weeks is when we will know the results of those toxicology reports. But it gets a little murky because so we've already passed 2 weeks so really before the 6 week 6 weeks, excuse me. But it's really it gets more complicated than that because if the results come back and they're more complex then just say oh it's this or that it could stretch way longer than that 8 weeks so right now we really just don't know when those results will come back it's it's a waiting game 
And they're not doing anything uh, to speed it up. I've only got 10 seconds left. But did they say they're not, they're not giving it any priority over any other case? No, they're not. And the exact verbiage they said was yeah. that no other person's death matters more than anybody else's. Uh, they treat all cases the same. And so they will not be speeding it, it up. And so we will have to wait, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Malik Jackson uh, doing the work for us. Uh, thank you so much, Fox 4, WDAF-TV. Really appreciate it. And we're going to call you again. Story's not over. Thank you, Malik. And thank you, everyone, for bearing with me during all this breaking news tonight. It's really good to have you. Don't go anywhere, though, because my colleague Chris Cuomo is coming up next. And you know he's got a good show. Lots of good stuff. I'll see you here tomorrow. everybody. I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Wednesday. We're live. So what do you say? Let's get after it. We have some things to be concerned about and we'll go through them together tonight. We're going to start with a case. Doesn't make sense. Three found dead, frozen stiff in the yard of their friend. The man living there, the friend, says he had nothing to do with it. So what happened? We have the father of one of the victims. He has a theory. He believes drugs were involved and that the men were dragged into the snow and that the man living there does know something about it. We have him on. We also have the lawyer for the man who lives in that house, and he has a different story. We also have our best investigator,